Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Might bring up a person who actually almost worked for the bureau would be Doc Savage. Oh yes, of course. No, you know, he had his own deal. He, he had his yeah. own team. He might have yeah. worked with the bureau, but I can't see him working for the bureau. You're right. He's independent. Consider Doc Savage the predecessor to Batman. Oh yeah, the Man of Bronze. Let's say you lost your Man of Bronze. Okay, you were these guys that were all specialists in one thing. Where you are, okay, this one is the the prime lawyer, and this one is the chemist, and this one's the mechanic. And Supernatural took out your leader, your man of bronze, and now you have to go in and you're fighting like in his memory or whatever, and the Bureau's backing you. So there's an idea for a Bureau campaign in the 20s and 30s. Right, now, and that, that's pretty good because, you know, if you think about it, Doc Savage, he's kind of like a Superman hero, you know. He can't lose, he's got everything. He's, you know, he's, he's actually, in a lot of ways, he's boring. But it would be kind of cool. Imagine your campaign starts with... Uh, yeah, you were working for this guy who was super rich and, you know, he's he's all these things. He wasn't Doc Savage. He was some other super unbelievable dude. The adventure starts right after his death. And you're his team. Or disappearance. Or disappearance, right. Yeah. There's no body. All of a sudden you have to, okay, we don't have this guy. It's just us. What do we do? And you could say... It was a supernatural thing that took him out. Something that normally your oh, no. your man of bronze could have handled. But being supernatural, no. It was too much for him. He tried to handle it alone. He thought, well, I can handle anything. Nope. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm thinking, John? Doc Savage, he's all tough and everything. And he goes up against uh, some vampire and loses and becomes a vampire. And now... Oh. You have to fight your mentor, yeah. Right. That is the arch villain. The arch villain in your campaign is the guy who used to be your boss. Yeah. And it works out because you're a whole team against this one guy. But this yeah. guy not only has all of your knowledge, but now he's got this supernatural power to boot. Right. Well, of course, you don't you don't take him on right away. Yeah, and the first thing he does, of course, is that you know he goes to the vampire who, who turned him and says, yes, master, and then rips his head off and drives a stake to his heart. Right, right, and he takes over. Yeah, he takes over. Yeah. <laughs> the thing he says to the guy is, you beat me and everything, but where you lost was you should have killed me. <laughs> yeah. You made one fatal error. Yeah. Right. You should have killed me. You should have turned yeah. everybody else and killed me. Yeah. That would make for a really cool campaign. Oh, yeah. It would certainly give you a reason to to keep fighting, even though you're just these five, you know... You can also make it ambiguous. Sometimes he helps you. Sometimes he doesn't. You're not quite sure what's going on. Is Doc Vampire a good guy? Or is he a bad guy? Or is he something else? He's something in between. And you know, and, and you know what, John? That, that makes sense because, yeah. you know, he's Doc Savage, so he's better than the common man. So maybe he's holding on to some of his humanity. Maybe he's got some big plan. Or maybe he's just evil. Yeah, but you're not quite sure. Right. That makes it more fun. Prohibition, like I said, you, know, you had the gangsters, you got to deal with the gangsters, and spirits of both kinds. Yeah. 
you're a gangster and you know about some mumbo jumbo down New Orleans, hey, that career that the Bureau turned and sent away, he's got a score to settle with the Bureau. Let's get back to Bureau 13. How does this tie into Bureau 13? Like, would your team join Bureau 13 or? I say join Bureau 13 because at this point, if the guy has no heirs, his fortune may just get dispersed amongst various charities or various operations and you're high and dry. You just get a million dollars and that's it. And what are going to do with a million dollars? Right. I mean, do we have any other ideas for the pulp era between the 20s and the 20s and 30s that bureau 13 some were just crime adventures some were against mastermind evil geniuses and oh you're gonna have all the weird pulp death rays and all this and the ray guns and dick trace even with his uh wrist radios and all that all this stuff comes out this is where your tech characters are going to shine because they're going to be making all the weird stuff and they have to have the weird stuff oh. to go up against what rays. Those transistors that were squirreled away so many years ago, someone realizes, hey, you know, this looks like a vacuum tube, only it's small. First, the miniaturized devices start showing up. Yeah, and you're going to have the strange killer robots with the boilerplate bodies and the pincer arms and the light bulb eyes coming at you and you have a Tommy gun and well magic they really didn't have magic they would call it mesmerism Mm -hmm. maybe spiritualism they had more psychic stuff in the pulp era yeah but you know what you know you can tap into all the Call of Cthulhu themes and stuff you know you can you can use oh yes oh Cthulhu to death in this era this is really the era that the Call of Cthulhu and, and that whole genre really strives. You definitely should go to those books and use what you can. You always have your standard adventures as well. The Haunted House is still quite valid and and viable in this era. Oh, yeah. We always think of the villains for this era, pre-Nazi Germany, you know, because you got your Nazi party forming during this era. Some communist stuff maybe you could use. Yeah, the socialists. Oh, the anarchists are, are rampant during this era, too. If you're playing in America... And you have a diversified crew of people, or you're playing an enlightened group. KKK makes a great villain during this time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If you're afraid to tread on this, don't. But if you're not, if your group is okay with you know with, with treading down this road, KKK make really great villains during this time because this is really when they're at their peak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a dark part of our history, but if, as I said, if your group is mature enough and they're strong enough to go down that road, yes. Well, hey, I mean, what's more fun than mowing down Nazis? Mowing down KK Klansmen. When they say it's a grand wizard, they may really mean a grand wizard. Yeah. Right. I mean, are you really going to shed any tears for mowing down, like, 50 Klansmen? I'm not. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Bureau 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. 
is available from TriTech Games at TriTechGames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Hero 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. Late 30s is when Hitler starts going on his um, collecting phase. Yeah, the beer hall putsch and all that. See, now we're starting to get into the World War II. Pulp went into World War II, and that's about where it ended. Hitler, in real life, was a fan of the occult. Yes, which is perfect. You can sit there and beat this theme to death that the Nazis are looking for occult-based items, and it, we're talking things like, besides the Holy Grail, gee, they did a movie of that. I, I The name escapes me. Of- Holy Grail, Ark of the Covenant, the ball opener of the gods. And there's a certain video game that revolves around, the, you know, the Spear of Longinus. Those of you who don't know what the Spear of Longinus is, Longinus was a Roman soldier, and he used a spear to stab into Jesus' side while he was on Golgotha, the cross, to make sure he was dead. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that spear was infused with dark energy because it would help to kill the Son of God. Hitler wanted that, and he had a raging passion. Well, either dark energy or with blessed energy. You're not quite sure in this one. It did help Jesus to die for everyone's sins. Yeah, but it also brought down a demigod. I mean, me personally, yeah. I, would, I would have it as an evil artifact. That's just me. That's what I would run. If but, you want to do it as the other way, that's fine, too. And hey, you know, something that's never mentioned, what about the whip they used to whip Jesus to near death? Called? Like a flail? Yeah, it's more like a flail. Alright, well, hey, that thing. I mean, you know, you never hear any mention of that, but I mean, that was an instrument of torture and terror. I mean, imagine that as an artifact. I'm trying to recall the name of Hitler's occult... The Thulgeschaft! That's who it is, yes. Okay. Yeah. If you want Nazis and you want the mysticism of it, the Thulgeschaft, uh, yet another PDF. It is called Secret Societies. I believe it's by Mongoose Publishing if you want to run the Bureau 13D20 in the pulp. They have all the secret societies, and the Thulgeschaft is one of them. They are your Nazi occult hunters. They are the ones looking for all these nasty little artifacts to help turn the tide of the war and so your Bureau 13 agents, let's say they're in America and they've got their hands on one of these things, or they found a collector has one in New York, your Bureau agents got to go and protect that collector or get that artifact before the Nazi sympathizers or the Nazis themselves come in and take it. Yeah, and if they get it back to Berlin, end game. And this is a time where the Bureau enlists the unwitting aid of a certain archaeologist. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. One of the gaming supplements for Bureau 13 with the haunted hotel and they had the uh, occult convention i added one of the speakers says henry jones jr on uh, dealing with the government and, and the occult oh man but richard dropped that one unfortunately world war ii well let's see you had the italians and you had the japanese the japanese of course have all their various mythos you have all the various powers. You have the Europeans. We already worked with them once before, and we have a good idea what they have. But now we have the Russians again. And this time the Russians may or may not actually be using supernatural. You're not quite sure if if there is a Soviet Soviet supernatural core. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, the Italians? Uh, I don't know. I mean, as far as the supernatural aspect? 
Oh, dear God, you, it's the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, yeah, the Vatican, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got Rome, you got ancient Roman stuff still floating around. For all we know, there's someone, someone there has the belt of Hercules. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, the Axis powers do have their supernatural things besides the Thulgashap, so we, we have that. And, of course, at home you're going to have problems here. Nazi sympathizers here, uh, the fifth columnists are going to be in yeah. the states causing trouble when america enters the war effort in yeah. 41 the american government may actually be funding a supernatural uh, operate you know they said well we're going to see if this works or not and the bureau may be of two minds do we let them do it and actually succeed or do we sabotage the american attempt at investigating the supernatural for the war effort <laughs> yeah because the bureau would not do something to fund something like that. We're not going to sit there and stir up this bee's nest. We got enough trouble here without... I mean, we'll go in a minor capacity, but for us to actually actively... Majestic 12 is an operation during this time period. Majestic 12 is not part of the Bureau. They're not. They're an independent operation. They may be working on stuff. The Majestic 12. Please elaborate. Basically, it's a group dedicated to alien technology, basically, and de dealing with aliens and so forth, and investigating s stuff like that. During World War II, a lot more UFO UFOs show up, especially after 1945, when all of a sudden UFOs come out of the woodwork, thanks to the atomic bomb. Yes, and to bring this back to incursion, once the atomic bomb is dropped, the Enshani Sentinel drone decides... Oh, this culture is ready to join the galactic community. I will go back to Enchanty Prime and inform my creators that this planet is ready to join the galactic community. Of course, once it gets back there, where'd everybody go? But yeah, so once 1945 comes in and that Sentinel drone is gone, that's when the Earth is opened up for what would later happen in the Incursion game. But yeah, that's 1945. During World War II up till 45. You have all these various ideas, artifact hunting by the Nazis and the Japanese using their ancient customs. and Artifact hunting by the United States, you never know. I mean, look yeah, at the, 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 the Americans are going to want to be looking for things, and it, it won't be the Bureau, it'll be some other black project that, as I said, the Bureau might want to stop, or the Bureau might say, okay, this might help us out. But we'll make sure we get our fingers on it afterwards and hide it. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. They're yeah. going to want to make sure that they find out what it is. Okay, what'd you guys do, you know? Where did you wake up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did they do now? Yeah. Going back to Lovecraft, this is the time period when they decided to bury safe in Surrey and torpedoed Innsmouth's reefs and took out the Deep One colony there. Okay, all right. And of course, they'll chalk it up. Oh, naval maneuvers off the coast there. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, then you know later, later on during the nuclear bomb testing, they find the Bureau make sure it gets positioned over Ryla, or whatever it's called. It's not Cthulhu. It's Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Something like that. Yeah. Who's Cthulhu? Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah. A apostrophe T O O apostrophe L O O. Yeah. Actually, is is this time for Goshnar to wake up again? Oh yes, Goshnar. That's another one. Yes. He may be waking up and causing trouble, too, on top of this. Okay, uh, trying to recall what other eras besides... Well, I think we've pretty much covered, as far as I know, World War II and what the Bureau could do. Yeah. Pretty much going to skip over the modern era, right? Because I mean, that's pretty much what the book is about. Well, the 50s and 60s is really the start of the Bureau with super science at that point. But, I mean, that's pretty much what the book is about. You know, you can pretty much get that out of out of the book itself. 
In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever. An ancient portal system to millions of worlds. Built by a civilization of advanced alien beings, now lost to the ravages of an interdimensional war, you will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds, where he will find a wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. You will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Miller. Fringeworthy, the tabletop game of interdimensional adventure is now available for a D20 system and coming soon to Savage Worlds. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the Seven Seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. Travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship, and then battle it out with blasters and plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own, or invent your own. Check out the French Woody Podcast at tritaxsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Fringeworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritaxsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million million worlds await you. Music by Erminster, available on iTunes. I was thinking we'd want to move on to like a little bit into the future. The plot to go to is probably like 20 years in the future. And that's when the Ardana New comes back home. And that changes everything. Because up to that point, the Bureau has plausible deniability for aliens. When the Adana New lands in the White House lawn, that's gone out the window. You are suggesting the Bureau is okay. At this point, it's open. Well, no, it's a little bit open. The Bureau's realized that at some point in time in the future, aliens are going to either get caught on camera, land in the White House lawn, or do something along those lines. That and it can't be it hidden. Yes. Can't be hidden. So there's Area 13. I'm, I just created called Area 13. It's basically where all the alien stuff is kept. Not in Bangor, Maine, because there's stuff in Bangor, Maine they cannot explain away as alien stuff. But if you put it all in a different location, they can simply turn around and contact the president, contact the Congress, you know, various members of Congress, and say, hi, yeah, we sort of work for you guys, sort of, kind of, and we've been taking care of aliens all these years. So you think when that happens, it blows the lid off of everything, and, and people just go, okay, that's it, aliens are here. Yeah, and now we get to at least hand this off now. Well, it's funny because here it is, the Ardanu New Lands, and it's piloted by humans who have been kidnapped 20, 30, 40 years before. And yeah. it's like, wait a minute. But, Trav, that's what makes it palatable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 okay. It's it's not this big, oh, my God, the aliens are here. It's, oh, my God, there's an alien ship and there's humans on it. So it's yeah. kind of okay. So it's kind of sort of a segue into the whole alien thing. It's, it's not this big shock because the ship yeah. that lands actually has humans on it. Hey, John. Yes. Now, I don't understand why the Bureau's getting involved, because there's an agency already in place to handle aliens, and that's the Men in Black. And I'm yeah. not talking about the movie. 
I think the Man in Black, the only reason why they were affected is because the bureaus were cleaning up behind them. But the point is, is that they're listed in the book I know. Uh, as being the agency whose job it is, is to handle the aliens. And it's not the Bureau's job. Except when the Bureau does deal with aliens. You know, if they have to, they do. But I'm just saying is that you know, I would think that they, this is already being handled off, you know, handed off. And then when if the Ardana New comes back, then the men in black have to go public. Yeah, you're right. The Bureau doesn't necessarily have to do anything. That's true. This is thing that actually would have been in FTL twenty four forty eight, but Richard pulled it because basically he pretty much realized Bureau thirteen and FTL twenty four forty eight don't mesh. FTL was hard science fiction, and Bureau thirteen is soft, squishy science fantasy. They don't really mix, so that's why Incursion is, takes care of that. Except and, for Psionics. Psionics. Along the way, through the Ardana New, are going to find some psionics, or you're assuming them are going to be psionic, and they're going to tout it. They're going to proclaim that maybe the Bureau may decide to, okay, we've been dealing with psionics, because if they don't, what will happen is that all the psionics they've got under control right now may want to come forward and say, hey, I'm psionic, I'm taking this stuff. Keep the voices out of my head. Ah, okay. It may become a little bit public. Not a whole lot, just a little bit public. Or at least known to the government, in a way. The real mission, the supernatural, is still there. It's still secret. It's all get out. But, you know, they know that their cover will get blown if they, uh, you know, especially when, they, when people start reading minds and start realizing what's going on. This can change a lot of things at that point. This point, too, it means when it deals with aliens, okay, it's an alien. We got to call them an in black, and they got to come along and deal with this. That's it's their department. Uh, but it will change things. I mean, because the Bureau's got to deal with one other thing. According to Richard, this is, I've talked to Richard about this. When Ardana New comes back, it also probably means we now have to deal with alien, because the aliens are start visiting. Other than the, the Ardana New going out there and representing the Earth as its ambassadors. So at this point, you're going to have alien supernatural showing up on the Earth. Right, so you're going to have, well, aliens was part of the supernatural anyways. That's part of what the Bureau, because the Bureau did deal, they were dealing with aliens back in the 1880s with that one ship with the copper wire and the boilerplate. But if you have aliens using magic, in that case, the men in black would be going, "Uh, yeah, we need some help here. This is (laughs) beyond our pay grade, yeah. Yes. I can just imagine the, the, the Ardana New crew saying, yeah, this is our ship. You can't have it. It's keyed to them due to the little yeah. bit of soul in their nervous system. Ray Robertson, the head of Bureau R&D, he's not going to be able to get in there. He's going to be like... It's PL9 at, at the very least. Oh, yeah. Oh, PL9, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, with maybe some... Because there's biotech, that would make it one tech level higher, which technically would kick it up to PL10. Yeah. Yeah, and then the and the crew the new has twenty years of experience with the ship. Yeah, they're not getting in the ship. No, it's like <laughs> giving it to you. We're not even letting you in. We're not going to lower shields. But we will go to a friendly port and buy you a ship, and we can bring it back because this is a tug ship. Yeah. Oh, you think this is nice? All those nuclear weapons you got—that's money. Plutonium. One warhead will buy you a ship. 20, 30 years, you know, there are Danunu lands, and so we have now at least extraterrestrials are public. The magic aspect, which still the Bureau would have to keep secret, which means they'd be working in tandem with the men in black. 
And also trying to find out, okay, we have this alien demon. We have no idea where his bane is. We have no idea what, how to deal with it. Who does? Well, it came from Zemix. Let's go to Zemix and find out what to do with the thing. We're going out into space more, a lot more. It would be a, a space mm-hmm. campaign. Because once we get enough ships, and once you figure out how to build ships, build hyperdrives, there'll be human colonies out there. Of course, they're going to find out the area's already colonized, so it's going to be more like a human enclaves. And yeah, where, wherever there's humans, there should be at least a bureau team there making sure they're safe. There. After five long years, my latest invention is complete. Surely it will revolutionize personal transportation for decades to come. Hey, what are you in here? Get, get away from there! You stupid simian sociopath! Don't touch that! Ah, monkeys took my jetpack! Monkeys took my jetpack. At mtmjetpack.com Now, hey, guys, you want to veer off this course just a little bit? Sure. Let's say you know, the Game Master doesn't want to play with uh, when the Ardana New comes back, or he wants to set a little bit later and wants to do a cyberpunk-type setting ahead of time. Okay. Because cyberpunk actually makes for really good you know, Bureau 13-type campaigning, because now you've got humans with technology that is actually really pretty badass. Mm-hmm. For example, you want to hunt vampires. You have a gun that fires incendiary rounds. Yeah. You can have that stuff in modern times, but now you're getting to where you could get into rail guns, things that are just a little more advanced. Well, you know what the counter to that is? What's that? That's when vampires, credit this one to Nick Pallotta, vampires learn how to wear body armor and use weapons. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. You know, fair enough. Just the thought of a vampire wearing dragon scale body armor armed with M16s would be just nothing to make any bureau team quake in fear at that point. Well, yeah, but you know what? If he isn't wearing a helmet. (laughs) One good sniper shot, take him out. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Bam, right. And if he's using a cinderary round. In the cyberpunk era, that's when you can get into some like really complex stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you can have cybernetic limbs that have, I don't know, holy water sprayers in them. You know, the guy's finger flips back and he sprays the vampire with holy water, or the vampire bites into the dude's neck. You know, he has like an electronic defense system in there, so he bites into his neck, and a vampire's head gets fried by an electric bolt. We can do that right now in the current game because if in the 80s we actually had a couple of adventures. Was it one of yours, Bruce, or was it one of Richard's with the Bionic Man? That was one of mine. So right now you actually could be a bureau team with Bionics. Yeah. The cyberpunk era, it makes better sense. It's a little more accessible. Yeah. I think what Blix is saying is the cybernetics don't have to be hidden under flesh. You could walk around with yes. cyborgs with the silver arms and they could still be fighting the supernatural. It's like, yeah, we have cyborgs. Yeah, people with former military and the rich, you know, they have cybernetics and it might be fashionable to have a cybernetic arm where you can calculate this, that, and the other and have that on there. Or you have former military people who are cybernetic and they got it as part of their term and now they have it in civilian life. Okay, fine. Well, there's things crawling in the sewers that are... Not explainable. Maybe a mutation from all the pollution, or maybe something magical. Fine. Yeah. Now you have these fletchet guns and rail guns, and you're hacking into systems to find out about deep, dark secrets and magical tomes which have been since scanned to a yeah, server. I, 
And you find out that ghosts are still bulletproof. <laughs> right. What I'm saying is, though, is you kind of sort of level up your humans so that, you know, your campaign isn't as... Squishy. Squishy, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least the bureau teams, if they have cybernetics, is going to be one level higher than the average citizen. You know, like you were saying about ghosts. Well, maybe the bureau comes up with some kind of etheric... Vacuum cleaner? Right, right. The Ghostbusters, exactly, exactly. Plus, you know, it's not just that. It's the cyberpunk settings. You know, you have corporations who are kind of running the show. Oh, you have ghosts in the shell. And you have ghosts in the shell, right? And you might have real ghosts in the shell. Yeah. And rogue AIs you got to deal with that have somehow learned how to do magic. Oh, that's just a creepy thought, John. An AI <laughs> using magic. Oh, man. <laughs> and you could have the whole thing, you know, like the werewolves being sort of like the creatures of nature. And nature's kind of going to the wayside. And the werewolves could literally go from being this evil creature in the woods that, you know, the Bureau fears to being this pathetic uh, race of beings that they're actually you know, sympathizing with and maybe trying to save, you know, maybe they become your allies or, you know, because they realize, hey, you know, if things keep going the way they're going, we're going to disappear. And maybe we need to start working with the Bureau instead of against them. And, you know, you might even have some, you know, werewolf type allies and such. As long as you provide them with a sheep every night, they're fine. It's got to be a live sheep, but they got, you know, something to eat. A sage, their their bloodlust, and once that's a sage, then you can pretty much talk to them and work with them at that point. If you want to take it in, like, you know, sort of like the Blade Runner type line of thinking, you could have colonies on asteroids and other, maybe even close by solar systems. I mean, depending on how far you want to take it. Synthetic humans. You have synthetic humans, right? Imagine a replicant up against a vampire. That might be match. He might be able to go toe-to-toe with a vampire. Maybe there are synthetics that are made to go toe-to-toe against a vampire. That's true. But then again, that brings up a different storyline then. Okay, you're, you're a synthetic. You also know you're going to live 20 years. Right. Or six. Or six. You, yeah. You, but think about this. You're playing a character. How long is a campaign? You know, your average campaign. It's fine. Your character's going to be fine for the campaign. You don't really have to worry about dying before the campaign's over. At the same time, you still have to play with the thought that your character has a purpose that he has to fulfill within a couple years. So maybe that's why he fights as hard as he does the way he does. Yeah. It's, it's also a good reason for them to, to go rogue and try and go to the other side, too. Sure. Maybe you have a synthetic who wants to explore the possibility of what happens when a vampire bites me. Do I get to live forever? I mean, a synthetic is not made of robotic parts. He is made of biological parts. Let's not go with the contagious vampire, but the vampire you got to want to be a vampire. He wants to be a vampire. Bite me. <laughs> Does it work? Who knows? That's a, that's a game master's call, but that could be a really interesting concept. The adventure in and of itself could be worth exploring. Or become a vampire for the next three years and then he dies because everything's designed to just break down in three years. It's kind of interesting to think of those things, because what if you're a cyborg, and you're more cyborg than human, and a vampire bites you? What happens then? Yeah, that's a good question, because vampires regenerate. Does your body regenerate and, and get rid of all the cybernetic parts? I would think so. Hey, wait a minute. You regenerate, but do you regenerate to what your body was when you became a vampire? Depends how the vampirism works. Yeah, Blix, if a vampire is dead and you get turned into a vampire and you're a cyborg, all of a sudden 
your cyborg stuff is not working because it's designed to work with living tissue. No, no, I know, I know. This is all stuff that had to be a game master's call. You know, it, it could be really tricky. Does that mean that your cybernetics fall off of you? I would think so. Yeah, yeah. that's just me. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'd be thinking that. Well, you'd end up with all these cybernetics that you'd have to be either breaking off of you or they would be falling off of you. Like if you had oh, a cybernetic no. eye, it would get pushed out of the socket. If you had a cybernetic ear, it would, you know, be pushed off oh, your head. And, and of course, it hurt like hell. Think about it in these terms. Let's say you're playing a character who lost an eye 10 years ago in a, in a combat, mm-hmm. and then you get turned into a vampire. Do you grow a new eye? I would think so, yeah. You, but you see where I'm going with this, right? That's a good question. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, actually, it's a good question because I've actually I've seen uh, comic books where the, you have a one-eyed vampire because his one eye was burned out by holy water and a stake. Right. Those are just cool things to think about if you're going to do this. If you're going to have cybernetic people getting bit by vampires, you have to decide ahead of time what is going to happen to them. Cybernetic werewolf. Yeah. He transforms, and then what happens to that cybernetic arm that he has? It stays in place. Your flesh grows around it, and so is the extra bare bone. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's in there, but it's inside this misshapen arm now that's now twice the normal size because it didn't get rejected. It's still there, but, of course, it's now covered in muscle and tissue and there's an extra bone growing around it. It's now that much stronger. Now, here's another thing. Werewolves are nothing new. Vampires are nothing new. You know, they've been around for thousands of years, right? And you have a cybernetic company who's developing cybernetics, the possibility does exist that there is some supernatural cybernetic company that would make supernatural cybernetics that would work with vampires and werewolves and such. You know, that's not out of the question. As a matter of fact, cyberpunk, you know, our Talsorian games, there was a cyberpunk book that they had. There was a supplement that, that had these esoteric cybernetics, like a cybernetic arm that would literally transform into tentacles. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. There are all kinds of organizations out there, and there could be an organization that is working with the supernatural and the cybernetic to combine these facets. Okay, Carol, now you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin. Okay, sure. Well, what are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey, she's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold Emmy for Best Gaming Podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey, now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and new shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But But no no changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. I'm also thinking about the people who are so cybernetic. I'm thinking of like Major Kusanagi from uh, Ghost in the Shell. She is literally a brain in a robot body. Right. As a child, she suffered a major accident, which pretty much the only way to save her was to transfer her brain to a robotic body. You can bite her all you want. You're not going to turn into a vampire. Same thing with Briarios. Yeah. Yeah, for Apple Seed. Yeah. You're not going to turn him into a vampire. There's, there's so little left of him. They literally can change their body by just popping their brain out and put it into another body. However, they are still susceptible to things like possession and such because they have a brain. Yep. Yes. Which is meat. It's made of protein. So they are still subject 
to things like possession and such in a, in, from a mystical sense, not just hacking, but like a witch or a sorcerer or whatever could possess them or a demon, and they would be susceptible to that because they are still made of flesh and blood. Wow, a demon-possessed cyborg. Yeah, how about, how about that? I'm going to embrace yeah. Jade here and just say I think my brain just exploded. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, wow. how many times we've had demon-possessed light bulbs and demon-possessed vacuum cleaners. <laughs> a demon-possessed cyborg is actually a little bit easier to understand. <laughs> Imagine a demon-possessed Briarios going crazy on your butt. You're toast. It'd be yeah. kind of like a boomer in bubblegum crisis where these robots just nut out all of a sudden. You're done, brother. Bubblegum crisis is really weird Japanese anime. An all-woman team that fights replicants, but the replicants are called boomers. They're these massively cyborg creatures, which may be organic. You're not quite certain. Basically, there's this demon that's been chained, and they've been taking bits of him out and putting it into into these cyborgs. So they work. These robots, so they work better and, and make better decisions. Works because they're taking demon flesh, not, not normal human flesh. All these things are demons. As long as certain things don't happen, they're perfectly fine. But occasionally they, they go off the reservation, and then you got to deal with these demons. Off demon. the reservation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what it really boils down to is when you get into the futuristic stuff and you're talking about cyborgs and robots and like how much cyborg is a cyborg and how you know when do they cross over do they have a soul or not those are all things you're gonna have to figure out because if somebody is 90 percent machine and 10 percent flesh still are you going to say that they still have a soul does motoko does she have a soul yes she would say yeah she not only has a soul she has a measurable soul so if she has a soul of you know like a human soul it's called a ghost line. So she could conceivably be possessed just like any other living being. Absolutely. Both demonically and through computer code. Right. She's doubly susceptible. Yeah. yeah. So a human, like a straight up flesh and blood human, is not susceptible to being hacked. But they are susceptible to being like demon hacked or soul hacked or however you want to refer to it. Yeah. So she's got the best of both worlds and the worst of both worlds. Yeah, actually, that's a good term. Yeah, I would call it. De- yeah, we got about three or four demon hacks here. We need to deal with them. <laughs> right. So I'm just saying, if you want to take Bureau Thirteen into Cyberpunk, I mean, these are some really hard questions because you really have to answer them because people are really going to be playing these characters who have these things, and you're going to have to be able to draw those lines because they're going to come up. Major uh, Section 9 is what she worked for. They had one person who was not augmented at all because they needed someone who was human. And guess what? You know, you still have the exact same reason. There should be one person in your team who is not augmented because you need that human. So he can't be hacked. He can't be hacked. But also he can provide other means of protection just because he's human and he's not a cyborg. Or, yeah, know, and or, his curling detector works right. Yeah. <laughs> you get into the cyberpunk era, and, you know, that is a very important concern. Do we want to go any further? Do we want to go into, like, you know, Star Trek era? Well, uh, Bureau in the Incursion universe is going to be just crazy enough that I don't think we need to go any farther than that. I think it's about got it. <laughs> because Incursion basically is Star Trek as far as the technology and yeah. other type things. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, governments going to be out there trying to find another Arshani ship so they can have it for themselves. In that world, I still see there being separate nations in space causing all sorts of problems, and that just makes new political issues. It'd be an interesting one to play in. That's for the future. 
Yes. Well, thanks for joining us once again for the TriTech Games podcast. As you can see, Bureau 13 isn't just a game of modern supernatural role-playing. It's a game that can be taken over the history of its own existence. Throw in time travel, you can go over any possible history, even into the future. Because in the future, things are going to be different. And the Bureau is going to be there dealing with it. And you can too. So join us and playing Bureau 13 and all the other TriTech products. We'll have more for you next week, but until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the TriTech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.